Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. Almost every company, big or small, needs marketing design work, but many companies don't have the personnel in-house to get it done. Today's guest has created a global subscription-based design service where you can get great design work at a reasonable monthly price. Russ Perry, founder and CEO of Design Pickle, has created the number one flat rate creative services platform. So today we have with us a highly enterprising entrepreneur who's come up with just a brilliant, brilliant business concept, which I frankly admire coming from a marketing background. Very successful guy. It is Russ Perry, who is the founder and CEO of the world's most successful flat rate creative services company, Design Pickle. Russ, thanks a million for joining me on Street Smart Success. Roger, super pumped to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You know, you got your hands in some interesting things for sure. But where I always start is kind of the personal stuff is I know you went to ASU. I know you're in Scottsdale now. Are you originally from Arizona? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I'm a a rare native. So I was born in Arizona. I'm a third generation Arizonan. So that's like my dad and my grandparents uh, both were here. But I grew up mainly in Tucson, although I was born in a unknown town that causes quite a bit of confusion, if I don't clarify, Miami, Arizona. And I've had a few times where uh, people have have put Miami, Florida on government IDs and stuff, and I've had to correct that. But yeah, I grew up here. Um, I'm a native of the desert, but always hungry to travel and explore. And I found that that was kind of one of the subliminal reasons I created a company like Design Pickle that's international. So I have a reason to leave during these brutal summers. And where do you typically go? Oh, I mean, I, my my favorite, if I could choose any place, it would it would be Japan. I love I love Japan. I I would I would move there in a heartbeat and uh, and the culture and the food. So that's usually my first choice. And it's been a hard year for us all, but especially for me, because I usually go there three or four times a year. Three to four times a year. Do you have kids? I do. But here's the hack is that our largest creative team is in the Philippines and there aren't a lot of direct flights to Manila. So I'll always do a extended layover on the connecting flight on there or back. So I actually I do it in in conjunction with my normal business trip. So it's not just it's not just uh, one vacation. Although I do I do have a little bit of fun while I'm there. You know I have heard that about Japan from a number of people, and I am really just dying to go. I was gonna go. I had a big birthday here a few months ago, and we were gonna go. That was gonna be the plan, but obviously uh, that got scotched. So you know, when the dust clears here, vaccines take hold. Uh, that is definitely on my to do list for sure. Here's what I tell everyone: is Japan isn't marketed well. And if you're a marketer, you'll get this. I mean, there is some sort of mystique about it, but compared to say Europe or Italy or France, you know, you can conjure up ideas or movies or books or things about that. Not so much Japan, especially for Americans. So when you go, and it's still this case for me, every time I go, it's so surprising in a pleasant way. Like there's so much that you don't 
know and you experience. And it's it's just fun because you're discovering things at every corner because there isn't this deluge of of marketing that that exists for for a lot of us, for Westerners especially. You know, here's the way I heard it described, which may or may not be at all congruent with what your experience. And this this was just about Tokyo, and it's from a a gal that used to work for me. And here's how she described it. Inevitably, this will probably not be a great, but here's what she said. She said, it's like New York, Manhattan times 10. And so that conjures up all kinds of images. And frankly, I guess I don't know exactly what that means, but I love New York. And right. I don't think she, I don't think she's talking in terms of size, although that maybe that's part of it, but just energy and coolness is the way I took it. It's both, but imagine New York times 10 and every single person you run into, especially as a, as a tourist cares the most about what they're doing from the taxi driver to the department store to the restaurants. There's such a high level of quality to their craft across all industries, not just, you know, sushi or something, you know, popular like that. And that, that you don't get in New York, right? Like you don't, you don't get it. You don't get the uh, taxi guy who's like so pumped to be a taxi driver. So that's what I like as well is there's a, as a professional ourselves, you just see this detail and care in in all industry it's it's impossible to describe you just have to experience uh, let me know when you go Roger I will happily figure out a way to get out there and I'll give I know Tokyo pretty well I can give you give you the rundown that would be great fingers crossed is imminent so design pickle obviously is is such a brilliant idea but before we get to design pickle like what was your background career background leading up to it well first of all I know you went to ASU Arizona State University so you can answer that question however you want starting at ASU not starting at ASU how how did you get to the front door at design pickle well there were a couple big moments in my life and I think if I want to summarize all my life in a few minutes, I, I would say the first is I always love solving problems. And sometimes to my detriment, uh, I have kids now um, in, in various ages and and I always got great grades in the academics and I got really poor marks in the behavioral side. And so the reason was because I was always like, ah, here's the rule. I'm going to bend it. I don't think I don't agree with that. And so I think by nature, I was that's that's a great skill set as an entrepreneur, right? Most of our businesses, we see a problem, we want to solve it differently. And I was doing that my whole life. But I never knew really what owning a business was. It's not my family. My family is mainly academics. My dad, he was a blue collar worker uh, for for Pepsi, delivering sodas to grocery stores for, for 30 years. So it wasn't until after college that I, I got some, uh, I got a degree in design and I was doing that professionally. And I learned that, that this was a career, like you could create this thing called an agency and you could be hired by companies and people to design things for them and create things for them. And I was doing this in-house for a brand LG, a division of, of the big conglomerate out of Korea. But I was like, man, wouldn't that be great to do this myself? So again, that problem solving mentality was there. And then I had my first daughter unplanned when I was a senior in college. And I was set on this new trajectory that I, I didn't have, I didn't expect. It, it's been an amazing ride. She's now an angsty high school teenager. So that's, that's a fun journey right now. But the point is, is like I saw then entrepreneurship as this this what I thought at the time, which which wasn't entirely true, a ticket to this this freedom, right? Like I set my own hours, I can do my own thing. 
Uh, little did I know, it's also like the hardest thing you could possibly do and came with a ton of misery along the way. But I, I per- persevered at it. I, I really thought, you know, hey, this is this is my calling. It's it's to build value. It's to have my own thing and to create. Uh, it was almost a decade later that when when two businesses sort of just failed, there was a, one creative agency I had, and we kind of moved it into a, another one. I partnered with a company in Argentina, and both of those were were not successful. I mean, we had more red months than black months. And then that was like the third chapter was like, okay, I'm going to clear the slate. I closed the businesses. I closed the creative agencies. And I'm just going to get radically focused on what do I want first for my life? What do I want first for my family? Um, we've been talking, we talked about travel for the first few minutes here. Like what's going to enable me to continue to do that and to be able to travel? And, you know, this was 2014 and a decision I made was like, I want a remote company, which has been a great decision, especially considering this past year. So, um, those were the things I got clear on. And then I, I, I had this list of, of, of requirements. And out of that, part of my post-agency life was consulting. I started this engine of creativity that was self-service. It was technology-driven. It was more like a creative vending machine for my consulting clients to help them when I wasn't available. And that, you know, there, there really was a light bulb moment for me. Like when I saw this part of my consulting working in a very systemized way, where clients could request creative jobs, they got them back. It didn't depend on a lot of interaction on my end. And I said, you know what? Maybe I have something here. Maybe this is something that other businesses can use and not just my consulting clients. And uh, yeah, you know, basically six years ago, uh, January 2015, we launched uh, the Design Pickle brand and everything. And it's been a roller coaster ever since. <laughs> okay. So funny because... You know, what do I know about you? Well, obviously, I've, I've been on your website. I've been on your LinkedIn profile. And then I was in a, a meeting with my agency, which I'm kind of at this point a figurehead. So I don't really know what's going on a whole heck of a lot. But I was in a management meeting and Design Pickle came up. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to the owner <laughs> of that. So we use you. My agency uses Design Pickle. But the point is this is that you know, the grass is always greener. It is for me. So, so I guess I'm taking a long time to make a simple point that from my vantage point, looking at what you're doing and, and reading about you, it looks like you got the world by the tail and, and it's incredibly amazing business, which you're not saying it isn't. And I understand that. But the point is, is there's angst and hassle and, you know, there's just a lot of rubs in, in anything you do. And, and, and that's why I'm kind of laughing. Well, and you know, it's like the podcast world is we have an hour, we 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 summarize a lot. I mean, I think I could spend 10 hours talking about all of the the bumps and, and bruises along the way. But I will say this, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today talking to you if I didn't have those eight and a half really hard years of running a business to learn from. I mean, Design Pickle was the was the creation of all of the mistakes that I had made. I mean, I ran an agency that was high ticket items, low client volume, no process, uh, over promise, under deliver all the time, low client retention, poor management. I mean, I wasn't the lead. I wasn't even a, a good leader for pretty much all that time. And I just thought, you know, if you're just nice and friendly and you can sell things, that would help. That would be success for a business owner. And clearly that's not the case. So when I stand here today talking with you 
or I think about the success of Design Pickle, I couldn't have done and made the decisions to get us here today if I hadn't had a, a huge library to pull from beforehand. You know, like 22-year-old Russ starting Design Pickle would have failed. But 30-year-old Russ starting Design Pickle had a lot of, of, of experience. And I think that's what people miss, especially, you know, if you want to get me pissed and fired up is talking about all the knockoff competitors that we have, which I don't even consider them competitors or just kind of these, these like bottom feeders of copycats. Most of them are driven by people who don't have a lot of business experience. They're just kids trying to copy what we do. And I laugh because I'm like, guys, you know, the real success we have is being able to run a business. It's not finding creatives and pairing them with clients. That's easy. Anyone can do that. It's actually creating an engine of value that scales and grows and continues to do that uh, every single day. Well, you know, in a way, your, your eight and a half years was kind of your business school. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know what a PL was for the first five years of running my business. Like it was embarrassing. I, I, I would avoid numbers. I wouldn't even look at my bank statements. I just hoped there would be enough money at the end of the day. And I mean, now I, I'm, I get, I get do daily reports on finances. So yeah, it was my very expensive emotional roller coaster business school. I'd be lying to say I haven't been there because I have been there and uh, we don't need to go into too many details, but let's just say it was rough and tumble and took me a long time before I actually found a niche that made sense. It took me 13 years to even find the niche that ultimately was something that I became successful um, at doing. And so Design Pickle is, I'm going to describe it, and you tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong. Basically, a client could buy for a fee, a, a monthly fee, set fee, a certain amount of design work effectively. And whether that be landing page design, logos, illustrations, uh, web design, what have you, kind of as, as um, an a la carte kind of, um, that's the wrong term. You know what I mean? But you, you describe it. I'm, I'm <laughs> drowning. Me, I'm drowning. Let me help yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're close. Uh, really what we look at it is it, it, we say creative services cause that's, that's the, the, the full scope. I mean, today we have graphic design, we have specialized illustrators that can help you this year. We're launching motion graphics, video editing, presentation design. So we really stick in this lane of creative output. And when you sign up for our, our services, you pay on a monthly basis. Uh, there's no contract, although we'll happily give you a discount if you want to commit to more time. And you're, you are paired with a creative, a designer. We have a pro plan, which gives you a dedicated designer every time. So you, you know them. They're, they're in your Slack nine to five. You, you just get to know them. We have a, a cheaper plan, which is kind of like the best person for the job at the time. But you are leasing a part of their day. So whatever you can get done in that day, and there's no like hard, steadfast rules of, of is that 90 minutes? Is it two hours? Is it an hour? Um, it really depends on the clients and the designer ratio. Some clients, uh, sorry, some designers have, you know, share five clients. Some designers have 15 because each no creative request is the same. You know, you could have a Facebook ad that you need designed. And I can have a Facebook ad that I need design, but you're an incredible communicator. You have a wonderful brand. You've done years of Facebook advertising. And so your request just zips through the process super quick and you can do a few more things. If I, if I don't have any of that, my Facebook ad might take a bit because, you know, I'm, I'm starting from a different point. But at the end of the day, you get a, you get to feel what, 
what amount of work you can get done every day. Uh, typically, it takes a business day to get a round or a, a draft or a revision or whatever it is, uh, or same day if you're on that that pro plan. And then it's just it starts to work with your workflow. So at some point, you might need more work faster, and that's how our business model scales with our clients. And then you just come in, Roger, and you're like, okay, well, I want two subscriptions. I want to double my output or three subscriptions. I mean, we have one client with 65 subscriptions and they're awesome and they get an incredible amount done. So that's how the tool works. And you don't have to worry about it. You know, you don't have to think about, well, is my designer available? Are they not? Um, what happens if I don't like it? Like we have support involved and we have a whole CS team, customer support team that's there. So it's, it's, it's this very managed experience. And at the end of the day, we don't try to cannibalize like we want to try to to take over your agency's work we want to be the additional resource for the work that either you don't want to you know pay agency fees for or typically for a lot of our clients they're in this in-between part with hiring they don't need a full-time person or they have one or two full-time people but they don't need a third and that's kind of where we fit the bill and we kind of fit those in-between gaps where it's like okay let's give you a fractional person it feels like an employee it feels like a team member but after 3 or 4 months if you don't need the support anymore or you need 10 times the support you know you just tweak it in your back end and you're good to go so what is the bulk of the work that you do is it graphic design is it i would imagine mostly web stuff, correct? I mean, it's so crazy what we do. Um, if the end output are design files that are static, so you know, not we're not talking animations or, or motion graphics, we've probably done it. What the bulk is, yeah, it's going to be digital assets. So content for your blog. We have hundreds and hundreds of podcasters who every week we do their podcast graphics and their marketing slides and their social media you know, promo things. We do tons of offline work, direct mail, catalog, print, events, whatever. Trade shows, obviously, were big until those got paused a little bit. But what what I'd say the difference is, is like you come into the relationship kind of with the clarity of what you're looking for. We're not necessarily going to sit down and strategize on what your brand logo name should be you know like we're we're production artists we're we're people that are going to be there to to create more of what you need but you come to the table with that and then every time your files are delivered they're delivered in a zip file all the versions and formats and links and fonts and everything you need and then you you take it and you do whatever you do you print it you publish it you post it you whatever whatever goes along with uh, the assets that you need it you know, I, having been on your site and looked at like samples of the work, I'll be honest with you, I was blown away. I thought the work, and it wasn't just like, you know, here's two rows of, of you know, output. It was, you know, I was scrolling a long time. It's, I was really, really impressed. I thought the design. Work Thank was, you. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, we have a lot, we have a lot to choose from. I, I would be a liar if I didn't say, obviously we're going to put work that looks good. I mean, we do fifth, we're doing 15,000 jobs a week right now. So we have a lot to choose from, but the end of the day, what's interesting is work is reflective of our clients. You know, if a client comes together with us and they, they have a, a beautiful brand, great assets, then it's going to be great. But I'll tell you what, Roger, a lot of clients don't necessarily care or need it. I mean, we have average business, everyday businesses that, you know, I'm the, I'm the, electrical commercial electric box repair guy and I use design pickle 
and I just need my name and I have a funky logo that's 20 years old, but they still use our service. And to you and I, their work might not be amazing, but it gets the job done. And that's kind of what's cool about Design Pickle is you're not going to be faced with this, this pressure, like, or judgment or anything like wherever you're at, we're going to meet you. And if you're like, I, I don't really like what I have, of course, we'll help improve your look and feel. But a lot of creative companies will really, it's almost like a, a, a judgment thing. If like your brand isn't amazing, well, that's where we need to start. Like, let's rebrand you. Let's create all this new stuff. And it's just not practical today. You know, people, people's businesses don't always require a Tesla or Apple brand. Sometimes they just need a flyer and like they need it by Friday. So that's, that's where we try to thrive is meeting our clients where they're at helping them improve if they desire. But if they don't, we're just going to be consistent, reliable, and and provide that service day in and day out. So 15,000 jobs a week. That is incredible. How many clients do you think is represented in, in a number like that? So we don't, I don't know the client count because again, we measure by subscriptions. We're approaching 4,000 subscriptions. So a lot of clients have more than one subscription. You know, a, a team can come in, add their whole team, with one subscription, the problem that that ends up happening, it's like, remember back in the day, I'm going to guess you remember like slower internet, you know, like you had to share your internet connection based off our, our, our conversations. It's like, it's like if you share one dial up internet connection with 10 people, you're only, you're not going to get a lot of speed out of it. So we love people adding their teams, their whole companies using it, but eventually it it's, you know, one subscription isn't enough to be practical. So we'll have a lot of companies with multiple subscriptions, but based off uh, our December metrics, those are, I think the most accurate. If you had to take a wild guess. And so if you say 4,000 subscriptions, what would your wild guess be as to how many clients are in there? Um, probably in the 3000 plus range, low 3000s, I think most of our clients have one subscription and and then we have a, a you know 20% or so that have multiple. You know, that's that's exceptional. You know, you've gotten 3000 clients in 5 going on 6 years is is just a wonderful thing. And it sounds like just you're all like you're saying is like every business at some point needs some design work. I don't care if they're you know, the dry cleaners on the corner, they probably need a flyer done or they need some signage or they need a logo. They need something. Absolutely. And I will have to say kind of a depressing statistic is we've actually worked for, you know, 10, 15,000 clients over our, our six years. But unlike a tool, say like an accounting software or say Zoom or something that's very sticky and you just use it for the lifetime of your business. Creativity, unfortunately, isn't, isn't like that. It's very subjective. It's often you know up to a person's, you know, how they feel that day of who they're going to use or what they're going to reach out. So we have a lot of clients we've worked for, but our model is super dynamic. So clients will come use us for a month. They'll cancel. We won't hear from them for years. And they're like, hey, I'm at this new job. I want to use you guys again. So the the total number of impacted clients is is far far north of ten thousand, but on a day in and day out basis, you know we have that that core group that uses us every month. And what do you think roughly the average revenue per client is? What does the average client spend? And I know average is a really misleading number, but it's a place to start. 
I mean, on a monthly basis, it's it's right in between our two price points because we have a good split. So uh, we're, we're actually our our low end plan will be five hundred dollars uh, on Monday. We're raising the prices, and then our our higher end plan will remain at a thousand. And I think it's yeah, I don't know the exact dollar amount, but it's right in right in the middle there per month. Got it. It's such an incredible value because you know what are their alternatives? And and I guess if you could even categorize and say, well, this category tends to do a lot of work with us, or we tend to do a, a lot of work with agencies like yours, Roger, that gets overflow really easily. Where does the bulk of the work come from, or is it absolutely just completely diffused? No, we have a specific around it, but it's not measured by industry because it is so diffused. I mean, like our largest group would be still less than 10 or 15%. So we don't have any single concentration of industry. What it is, is business maturity. So we're not going to necessarily be a good fit for any organization that's under five full-time employees. And the same thing, we're not going to be a great value if you're creating anything, you know, in the one to three things per month. So we really look at what is your business maturity because at the end of the day, our value is that you are getting you're getting a lot of use out of it and your business is mature enough that it has marketing, it has sales, it has internal communications, it has a website, you're doing social media. And the startup, you know, guy or gal that's just them and their cousin, often, you know, they'll need something quickly and then they they're done, you know, and then they're building or working on client work or whatever they're doing. So we just try to look at the, at it from there and 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 too like we don't consider ourselves I'll come back to this cuz I think it's important to note like we are not the one-stop solution. So for years there's been four choices to for creativity. You hire someone as an employee, you hire someone as a freelancer, you hire an agency, and then 10 years ago or so the marketplaces like gig economy came out and you can find someone through these services, like these online platforms, kind of like a dating site where you find somebody. We're a fifth solution and we're calling it subscription workforce. So it's basically a way to get that dedicated resource that's consistent, but in a way that's flexible and in a way that can grow or scale with you. We're not going to do everything that those other four categories can. Like if you're launching an you know, a national ad campaign and you need the support of an agency, that's going to be your best bet. Like there's no way could we work on that. Now those creative files and you need like 30 versions of those ads. Yeah, let's, let's work. Let's make it, you know, let's make it happen. So that, that's an important thing to note. And I think that's why our reach is so broad across all kinds of companies is because really most companies, there's this category of work that just isn't a good fit for the agency or full-time person or or freelancer. And so that's where we try to come in and provide that support. In terms of like that, that fourth, the fourth category that you said, I'm gleaning that you're talking like about like Upwork, those, those kind of... Yeah, Upwork, Fiverr. Um, I mean, there's the competition sites, 99designs. And look, those are great sites and you can find some quality folks. In fact, our first few years, we, we recruited designers off of Upwork and, and brought them into our system. The problem is, and it's a problem that, you know, I consider those the gig economy model. Uh, it's a service gig economy, unlike say like an Uber, which is more of a, you know, low, low skilled labor gig economy. It's not, it's not, consistent for the provider to actually make a living on. You know, most of the people on those platforms are doing it as side hustle money. 
They have another job. They're doing something else. And so you have this super clunky experience, especially if you need to, you need volume, you need consistency, you need your person available, you know, Monday through Friday. And that's where the subscription workforce comes in is it's a, it's an evolution of the gig economy, but one that does right to the, the creative providers. Like all of our creatives work for us full time. They're not, they're not cobbling together two hours here or a job there. And we pay them full rates for a full week's worth of work, um, regardless of the volume that they produce. So if they don't have a busy week, it's on us to find them more work. It's not on them. And that's a huge advantage for these these team members because otherwise on a on a upwork or a Fiverr, you are like marketing yourself, you're handling the all everything. You're always out there trying to find your next job. So we take that that out of the equation. And then on our client's end, they have this super solid experience that isn't this volatility that you can find on the marketplaces. So all of your creatives are in your full time, but are they still contract or are they, you know? Yeah, they're still contractors. They could work more if they want. They come to us and we say, here's your contract agreement. Here's the amount of volume of work that you're going to, we need done every week. And here's your, here's your what rate for that. Uh, but it's enough that they don't really need to have any other jobs. Like we pay really well. We, um, it's an international team. So full disclosure, our creatives are, are around the world. And that's a part of our business model is, is we find countries that have great design education, great connectivity. You know, internet's obviously important and their cost of living is a lot lower. So our rates in these countries are two to three times higher than the normal rates in those countries but they're often two to three times lower than it would be hiring a designer from the United States. Yeah. And therein lies uh, part of the genius. So how many of them do you have right now? Our global team, which includes our, 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 our headquarters team in the United States, we're north of 700 folks. Yeah, that's amazing. You're feeding a lot of mouths. That is really, really, that's incredible. So they're all over the world. I get that. But are there concentrations? Are there, are the bulk of them in the Philippines where I know there's a lot of virtual assistants there? Where do they tend, where are the concentrations? Well, it's going to be in Asia and, and Latin America. Uh, so we have big teams in the Philippines, in Mexico, Argentina, Colombia, Indonesia. Uh, we're working on Portugal, South Africa. We're in 13 countries. So we're, we're all over. Wow. Sounds like an awful, awful, awful lot of work. How, how many employees <laughs> do you have? How many employees do you have at corporate? Uh, that would be about 60 of the 700 that I mentioned. My goodness gracious. In just ballpark, what do you guys do in revenue? We are right now breaking, um, I'm like, I'm just trying to think of the numbers coming back. We're going to get close to 20 million in revenue for 2020. So, well, uh, 2020 is done. Yeah. I haven't gotten, they haven't closed the books yet. So I don't know where we stood. <laughs> you know, that is really, really amazing. Good for you. And in five years, and it's obviously just a brilliant concept where all the stakeholders benefit immensely. Otherwise, it wouldn't be as successful as it is. So, so I guess in your mind, then, Russ, 
where do you want to take it in the next year, five years? Or, you know, what happens if somebody comes and says, I'm going to offer you just an obscene amount of money, which I would imagine might have already happened? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I've always built this company to sell. It was actually a book I read called Built to Sell. And it was an allegory tale of an agency owner struggling, trying to sell his business and how he created a a whole new version of his company that was automated, it was systematized, it was documented, it was focused. So I had that from day one. I mean, I was documenting our processes and procedures when it was just me and my two creatives remotely. So we have such a long road ahead of us, though. I mean, our our vision for our company is to change lives through creativity. So even if I was to have a big check come my way, I would require them that I stay as a CEO and I, and I fulfill the duties because I'm excited of where we're headed and where we want to become as this company is we're calling it basically a creative enablement platform. So we want the software to sit between our creatives and our clients and just and design this incredible experience for both of them that allows people to just get ideas out there, that allows people to share, collaborate using, you know, we have a lot of technology under the hood, like AI and other things we're currently just scratching the surface of. How can we empower those tools even more so? So say you sign up, Roger, today, you know, your designer has this total beautiful brief on who you are, who your businesses are, the past work you've done, what they can find online. And they get that from day one. And you don't even have to do anything other than like put in your email. Like that's the kind of direction we want to go with it, as well as expanding services. But it's creating this global subscription workforce that that clients can access and get great quality creative, have an incredible experience. And creatives can come join our team and just be like, I love working for Design Pickle. Like this is this is a great place to be. And they can make a great living, thriving wage. So that's where we're headed. I know it's kind of a big, broad brushstrokes, but I'm I feel like we're we're on our sixth birthday this month, and there's five, ten more years ahead of us of what we're creating and what we're building. You're saying it's a big, big, big vision, big, broad brush, but quite frankly, what you've already accomplished is huge. How many hours would you say you work a week? Like eighty plus. Like I work all the time, but I'm I'm like the mad scientist, you know. Like if I just go to Japan tomorrow and unplug for three weeks, like nothing's affected. Like the company runs, the plans are there, people get paid, the checks are signed. So I'm kind of useless, like on the operational everyday side. My role is building that vision and creating that next step and making the big decisions on where we go from here. So I'm I do that every day. I'm here at by 5:30 a.m. I leave probably around 6 and I love it, you know? I l- absolutely love it. A lot of the those times I we I have to work at night to meet other team members around the world, but my goal is to champion that next 5 to 10 year vision to make sure it's clear to, to financially be responsible for the company. Uh, you know, the buck stops with me on our profits or our losses or wherever it's at. So that 60 hours plus, like it's, it doesn't feel like it, you know, like I, I feel I'm voluntarily doing it because I love what we do and, and the impact we're making in the world. And you know what, feel free to answer or not, but roughly what do you put to the bottom line on 20 million uh, in revenue? So we're we're net neutral on profits. So we invest every dollar into growth. We're self-funded. So we don't have the opportunity to run in the negative, but we're not like stacking cash right now because we have an incredible growth trajectory. Um, you know, we grow anywhere from 100 to 50% a year. And so that's how we fuel our growth. So 
I, I still only have five or 10 more years because I need to actually produce some more profits in this company. So that's where we're headed. <laughs> well, the good news for you, Russ, is that you're young. Uh, yeah. So how would you define success? Um, super simple. You can choose the challenges in your life. Like challenges you experience are voluntary. Like to me, that's success and, and freedom. You know, like I choose to work 60 hours a week. I choose to, you know, have a big company with all these problems and challenges. And, and I feel like I'm there, you know, like I don't, I don't feel like I'm chasing this inevitable thing that never gets closer and I'm always going and going. And I remember the years when I didn't have those choices. You know, we just passed the holidays. I always joke about the credit card Christmases where it was like, do we buy gifts or do we, you know, get Christmas dinner and, and which credit card is it going to go on? So I've been there and I've been through those trenches. And so to me, like if, if you really look at success, wealth, it's not about money. It's not about what you have. It's about that freedom of choice. I love asking that question because you just get so many interesting answers. The two other great answers I've heard, and that's a great one, by the way, two other really good ones is one of my first podcasts, the gentleman said, Pete Roberts of origin, that he makes jeans in rural Maine is doing like $30 million in jeans and he wants to take Levi's on basically. Hell of a mission. But his definition of success, which I had never heard, is that you're super, super excited for the next day. And I'm like, which sounds like you fit um, that. That's a, such a good one too. Like so simple, right? But so, so true. You know, and how do you argue with that? And then here's another great one I heard, which was just, this was my very first interview I did a year ago. And it was a guy that was a competitor of mine that frankly just blew me out of the water. And he, his answer was making my family proud of me. And I'm mm. like, that, that was a great answer too. So I love asking that question. What would you say are like key lessons that you've learned? I mean, for me, a lot of it is you know, always strive for an overabundance of value. One of the biggest problems of my first part of my career was I was taking more value than I was was giving. I was not outputting that. And from a financial standpoint, that's profit. You know, if we if we wanted to slow down our growth, we would post some incredible profitable numbers, but I'm choosing to reinvest that. I'm always looking at like how do I provide more value than I'm I'm expecting. And I do that in my personal life. We do that in our businesses. I train my team members to always be focused on that. Also, this is just a, a an experience is if you're not actively investing in your own personal development and growth, you'll plateau. And people like will understand that. They'll they'll totally say, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I challenge everyone, like, what are you doing to challenge yourself inside of growth? You know, growth is not just reading business books. Growth is literally inviting hard things into your life that challenge you and push you. So I have done, you know, so many mentorship programs. I have done um, physical challenges, mental challenges. I've taught myself acrylic painting last year just to see what that was like and get into that. So you have you consistently focused on your own growth, which is an active participation in that if you expect you to grow, which in turn is what your business needs if you want your business to grow. Like the version of you five years ago cannot be the version of you to run the business today. And the same goes for looking out. The version of you today cannot be the same version of you five years from now, if you expect these huge, great outcomes for your business and for yourself. You are spot on. God, I love <laughs> So tell me, tell me this. I saved maybe the best for last. And that is, tell me about the sober entrepreneur. 
Yeah. So talking about challenges, one of the challenges that I had in my life was this conflux of being an entrepreneur and the stresses that come with that, having pretty much an addictive personality, which I argue in my book, which I wrote, Sober Entrepreneur, all entrepreneurs are addicts, not to substances necessarily, <laughs> but you you have to be addicted to a crazy idea, right? And like throw it all, throw it all on the line. So it's like entrepreneurship, addictive personality, and tons of stress, both as building a family and growing the business. And so I, I, I started to turn to alcohol in a really destructive way as I became an adult. And it was just tearing, tearing me apart. You know, it was something that was moving my goals in all areas of my life, personal, professional relationships as a dad, as a husband. It was moving those goals further and further and further away. And there was, it was making no headwind. So in 2013, I decided that I was going to quit drinking. It was something that I had had some some dark times over the past few years, both in personal decisions, professional decisions in 11 and 12. And I was just reflecting on those years. I was through those dark times. I was on the mend. I was on the up. But I decided, you know what? I think life could be a bit easier if I don't have this curveball all the time. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I quit drinking and, and I, and I went through the ropes of, of structured programs. I went to AA. I went to a program at my church at the time, celebrate recovery. Those were wonderful in meeting other folks, but ultimately what worked for me. And now, you know, it's 2021. I've been sober ever since it's the results of my life since then. Like I've accomplished so much more in those seven years you know, going on our eighth year, my eighth year than I have ever in my whole lifetime. And I attribute it to removing that distraction. So in 2014, I said, "Why? Well, I want to share this story. I want to talk about this in a way that isn't judgmental to entrepreneurs, you know, kind of to men entrepreneurs, although a lot of women have read my book and gotten huge value out of it and tell a story that's simple, that's easy, that's not a long book. It's only 200 pages and um, provide, you know, a resource for folks who might be in the same boat that I was in those earlier years. So I published that book. Um, uh, it took me three years to write. <laughs> it took a long time. I published it in 2000, late 2017, uh, did the audiobook last year during COVID and it's on Amazon. Perfect five-star review, Sober Entrepreneur, and you can pick up a copy or, or take a listen. Fantastic. Well, uh, you're doing great things and uh, my hat is off to you and you've been a fantastic interview, by the way. Um, Thank you. Thanks for taking the time and uh, I'll hear more about you. We use your service at Becker Media. Awesome. Well, and I want to invite anyone, if anyone wants to hear more of the story uh, and, you know, and Roger's not inviting me back on every week, I'm starting a new newsletter this year. Uh, it's called Under the Lid. It's just the CEO narrative of, of where we're at at Design Pickle. And people can go sign up at designpickle.com slash under. And hopefully this month I'll get my first issue out. I'm a, I thought I was going to launch it in December, but I'm a postponed, but I'm going to just have fun. It's going to be funny. It's going to be insightful. It's just going to be like this, like this vibe, you know, just casual and cool as, as I, as we head into the next year. Well, listeners, you know where to get it. So Russ, have a great year. You're going to do great things. You'll, you'll probably hit, uh, you know, 25 mil this year. That's the target. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Roger. I had an awesome time. All right. Be well. Take care. Bye-bye. 